Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. And I think a big challenge is mobility, uh, having the right wheelchair to get out. Um, a lot of people don't know that you can get a permit through the Game Commission to hunt out of a vehicle. Um, access to, to land, um, if you're not you know, familiar with state game lands, um, how am I gonna you know, get out? Uh, how am I gonna get set up? Um, it's a lot of problem solving. Welcome back to the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 141, Hunting with Disabilities. Today, I'm talking with Greg Trainer. He's the owner of Accessible Hunter on Facebook and Instagram. Greg is a 55-year-old lifelong PA resident and hunter who had a diving accident in 1999. This accident left Greg paralyzed as a C4, C5 quadriplegic. During our conversation, Greg details his life before his accident, how the accident occurred, and how it changed his life. He's also going to fill us in on how he was able to get back into hunting, the challenges of hunting as a quadriplegic, and why he started the Accessible Hunter social media presence. All right, welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining me again. And on the line, we have Greg Trainer. Uh, Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good today. Uh, I appreciate you having me on the podcast and looking forward to talking with you and, and everyone else. Yeah, you know, I will always take uh, the chance to sort of talk hunting and talk with a fellow hunter and outdoors person uh, anytime I can. So uh, this this is definitely going to be a pleasure is all mine type of conversation here. Uh, everyone heard in the intro that you're a lifelong hunter. Uh, so as a lifelong hunter myself who had multiple mentors, I had my father, my grandfather, my uncle, um, you know, I came from a hunting family. Who was that, like, who was one or a couple of the mentors that you had? Well, um, I started off hunting, I guess, like you and everyone else in Pennsylvania about the age of 12. And I was fortunate that my dad took me out hunting. Um, we started small game hunting and uh, I didn't bow hunt back then. My dad wasn't a bow hunter. Um, he shot a lot of trap, actually. That's how he... I got started hunting later in life was he was an avid trap shooter. And um, whenever we started deer hunting, it was more about getting out um, with the family, not so much tagging a lot of deer in those early years. Um, I think my dad took two or three deer his entire life, but it was, it was fun being out with him. And I, I really got a good start on safety and shooting. And that was, you know, to me, really important. And um, whenever I was in, in my teens, I started working uh, like age 14. And there was a little bit older guy, older than me, uh, Mark Powell, that really kind of took me under his wing on bow hunting. And um, 
he, he showed me a lot about scent control and got me into archery whenever I was about 16 or so. And um, so my dad, Mark Powell, and then some guys in college, uh, Dave Hall and uh, his family. So I really had a lot of people that were excited about the outdoors that uh, wanted to do things the right way and took the time to show me. And once I got started bow hunting, that was just it for me. I was I was hooked on hunting uh, with, with, you know, the compound bow. And I was just really, really hooked on it. Now, this happened to me. So I'm wondering if you found yourself in a similar situation. Um, you start hunting at a very early age, 12, right? At the time for both of us, you couldn't even go out really in, until you're 12 years old, um, where now we have the mentor hunting. But, um, you know, you, so you start hunting at this early age, you're learning everything from those mentors. And then there's a sort of shift where all of a sudden the mentors start learning from the mentee because the mentee tends to be so enthusiastic and into learning more information um, that it sort of eschewed away from like old school methods to, you know, sort of this new inf wave of information that we have today. D did that happen for you too? That happened exactly like that. Um, it's funny, as I mentioned earlier, my dad didn't kill very many deer. Uh, he was more about just getting out and getting some exercise. And uh, whenever I started becoming a little bit more successful, taking deer consistently, I'd try to pass on information to my dad and try to get him, you know, on more deer. But uh he was a little bit older too, and he was just happy, happy getting out. And I'd, you know, I was in my twenties by this time, and I'd uh, take him out, and in the morning he wouldn't have a flashlight, and I'd give him my flashlight or give him my gloves and that kind of thing. So there was a role reversal. Uh, it was pretty funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, it's something that um, I, you know as a, as a new father myself now, like I, I can't imagine that point, right? Like you always think that, you know, you're teaching and, and that's just, you know, you're bringing up the next generation and that's just the way it's always going to be, but there is that role reversal. There's almost always a point where there's a role reversal there. And you, I find it more and more, uh, with the more people I talk to that started off early, uh, in their life hunting. Um, now one of the things that, that was a part of the intro that, um, is really the reason that I'm having you on is because um, you're in a very unique situation as a hunter. Um, you know, you uh, had a driving accident. Um, you're a quadriplegic. Can you just sort of explain a little bit? It doesn't have to be in crazy detail, but just explain a little bit about um, the accident and then, you know, um, what your condition is now. Sure. Well, growing up, I was always pretty athletic. Uh... I took karate, you know, all during high school and actually uh, graduated high school at 17, started a karate school, um, had that for several years uh, while I was going to college. Um, but my accident happened whenever I was 31 and I was still in really good, good shape. I was running and, and pretty active and I lived on a little lake up at Cape Cod and um, got out of the hot tub. Uh, with my then girlfriend and good friend of mine, Matt Sepas. And it's it's funny, you know, around here, we talk about doing the polar bear plunge uh, for New Year's. And this was in February. And we were kind of joking around that we didn't polar bear for New Year's. So the plan was to walk down to the lake, jump in, come back up and then have dinner, you know, that kind of thing. 
So I waded out into the lake about waist deep, and I thought I dove out. Um, I wasn't diving off of anything. I wasn't jumping off anything. It was a relatively, uh, you know, simple move. But instead of diving down uh, or diving out, I think I dove down or maybe a sandbar shifted or what have you. But I hit my head on the bottom of the sandy uh, uh, bottom and I broke my neck at this C4-5 location. And I instantly became paralyzed from the chest down. Um, it was, you know, a split second thing where one minute I was 31, really, you know, independent in good shape to not being able to move anything. And I was floating on top of the water and Matt swam over and got me and drug me over to shore and called life flight and the ambulance and got me up to Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. And I had several surgeries and had a lot of complicated, uh, uh, medical conditions. I was on a ventilator and uh, that that started this this whole process. And that was in 1999. So obviously there's, you know, with a, a life-changing event like that, there's going to be a lot of things about day-to-day life that are different for you now. Um, but let's focus on the the sort of outdoor lifestyle because you had this outdoor lifestyle. You were, uh, you know, an avid hunter. Um how how my first question is how long did it take you before you got back out hunting for the first time after the accident it actually took me about 10 years to get strong enough both physically and mentally to want to go back out hunting again but one of the big things was um i did my uh, rehabilitation at shepherd center in atlanta georgia and i was still on a ventilator when i arrived at shepherd and was still you know, battling pneumonia, all of the complications of the spinal cord injury. But they took me down to the gymnasium. And after they found out I was an avid hunter and specifically a bow hunter, um, they kind of showed me that I could still shoot again. And they had people shooting air rifles, using adaptive equipment, different triggers with mounts. So that really placed a an idea in my head that I was still able to do that, but it took me a long time to to get focused again on hunting. But I really thank Shepherd Center and you know all the people in their therapeutic recreation department. And this was you know in, in 1999, so a lot of things have improved and things. But man, they they were just awesome that they they put that out that I could still do things just a different way, and they showed me how to do a lot of different things in my life, but uh, hunting still was really important to me. And, and they, they showed me that there was a different way. So can you explain to me then like how, you know, you talked about mounts and different triggers for a rifle. Like how does that work for you? What, what do you, what kind of specialty equipment or do you need to buy a special gun or how does that work? Well, I actually use the same, you know, rifles and, and crossbows and shotguns. Everyone else can but I do pull the trigger a different way. Um, I started off using a crank trigger that I would have to bump with my wrist. And what, what kind of made that difficult and not really accurate for me on rifle was I can't feel my arms. So whenever I was trying to pull the trigger, I'd have to look through the scope and then look and see where my hand was. Um, so that, that was 
you know, a little bit of a challenge. It worked good shooting my shotgun, that kind of thing. But um, over over the course of trying to get better, I um, discovered a sip and puff trigger. And it's basically a straw that whenever you suck on it, it works an actuator, almost like a, a door lock or um, a car door lock. And it's electronic and it pulls the, the trigger for me. It's made out of uh, beadaptive.com out in Indiana. And it really um, opened up a lot of accuracy doors for me, made, made that a lot uh, more accurate. And there's a lot of different mounts people can buy, but um, we actually, actually ended up making a mount that holds my shotgun, crossbow, and rifle. And it sits in my wheelchair and I can move it left or right, up and down a little bit. So it's really specialized equipment. And you know, we've been doing this since 2010 and uh, kind of encouraging people to, to get out. So um, the equipment's gotten better over the last you know 10 years or so. That, that's really interesting. And you mentioned specialty equipment. I mean, that without a doubt has to be specialty, right? Because it's going to be different for everyone's different condition and what they're able to do. That, that's exactly right. You know, spinal cord injury, I mentioned I'm C4-5, but somebody else that's C4-5 may have different movement or, you know, be able to, to uh, achieve things that I can't or maybe can't. So even though there's companies out there like Be Adaptive, a lot of times people like myself will modify the equipment um, to, their, to their own needs. And um, that, that's really important that we're all different. We all have different movement. Um, so you have to kind of modify it, but it's, it's a great starting point that people can, you know, get out, use equipment that they can buy and then figure out what works best for them. And we all kind of network and help each other out and say, well, have you tried putting your zip tie there or your piece of Velcro there, you know, it, it's kind of how you engineer something to work best for yourself. Man, that that's the creativity and the engineering behind that, that you're doing for yourself and, um, you know, relying on other people to sort of help like, Hey, this worked for me. Maybe you can try it like that. That's awesome that you can have that sort of community, um, group think to try to solve some of those issues. Uh, when it comes to hunting, you know, I mean, what are, what are the main challenges for you and, and other people with disabilities? I think initially it's a mental challenge that, you know, if you acquire an injury that you almost live two lives, that this is the way I used to do things. And now can I do it? Number one. And then how do I do it? So I think initially it's a, a big mental challenge that I'm just trying to get through the day. I'm trying to get stronger, trying to, you know, go to school, go to work, that kind of thing. And then after you become comfortable doing the day-to-day -day things, then you want to enjoy your hobbies, things like that. And I think a big challenge is mobility, uh, having the right wheelchair to get out. Um, a lot of people don't know that you can get a permit through the game commission to hunt out of a vehicle, um, access to, to land. Um, if you're not you know, familiar with state game lands, um, how am I going to you know, get out? Uh, how am I going to get set up? Um, it's a lot of problem solving. And if you have friends in the hunting community, I've never met a, you know, a, a more willing group of people than hunters 
that want to help you and and do things different or people just can't help you enough sometimes and sometimes that's a challenge too that they want to help and sometimes they're moving your chair or something in a in a different way and you have to be confident enough to say hey you know that might work for somebody else but i have to do it a different way so sometimes you have to speak up and say i have to be set up this way because i can't turn my chair and i think a deer or a turkey is going to come in this area i have to kind of set up a little ambush and already have my chair at the correct height and you know hope that the animal walks into that into that zone but we all do things different uh but mobility is a big challenge. Getting the right wheelchair that you can get out and not get stuck. Um, adapted vehicles to, to be able to, to get out. Um, all these things cost just a ton of money and insurance doesn't pay for outdoor wheelchairs. So you have to either save up for them or try to fundraise or find organizations. So there are a lot of challenges to getting the equipment you need and to get back out there. You mentioned um, the permit that you can get from the game commission to hunt from your vehicle um, and like access to like state game lands and things like that. I mean, from a a paperwork standpoint, right? Like I, when it comes get in June, the new hunting, you know, the new hunting licenses for sale, um, June, July, June, um, in Pennsylvania and I go out and I just, I buy what I need, all the tags I need. Is there any kind of special things that you need to do or, um, you know, certain paperwork you need to have filled out to be able to get full access and be able to go where you want to go? Well, at the time that I filled out all the paperwork and this was, you know, several years ago, all I had to do was contact the game commission and they had sent me a form that, you know, my doctor filled out saying I was a person with a disability. It's very similar to having, I guess, a uh, handicap or accessible parking permit. Um, At the time, they did send a game warden to the house to verify it, but I've never had to uh, reapply or uh, my my condition's permanent, so maybe that's why. But the game commission could not have made it any easier um, to apply for the permit and then they also have a lot of ground blinds and things that you can put in for as a disabled hunter for goose hunting, things like that. Um, so the game commission has been very accessible to me. Um, anytime I've called them or emailed them, they've been prompt on answering my responses. And I think they're trying to do a really good job for people, um, especially hunters with disabilities and creating access and uh, opening up gates and, and things like that, or, uh, you know, making suggestions. So I found the whole process to be pretty painless and, and actually pretty good. Well, you mentioned the gates and that's something that I wanted to ask about, you know, like I think about some of the game lands that I go to, like there's a parking area, sure. But then, you know, to get back to wherever it is you want to hunt, there might be a road, there might not be. And if there is a road, there's a gate there because, you know, I feel like everyone should know this. You can't operate a motor vehicle on game lands. Um, obviously that to me would be waived of some sort for you. So what, what's the process of getting someone there to open a gate? Like I, I can't imagine they're giving you a key. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. But um, during like regular hunting uh, seasons and things, those are uh, open and okay. available for people with the permit. So they actually have 
designated sites that are wheelchair accessible and you know the wardens and stuff are, are, are checking all that i'm sure but they they are open and available they actually have like little parking areas that you can hunt you know from your vehicle at i'm fortunate enough that i have a, a yeah, adapted van and i also have um uh, track track style wheelchair that it's almost like a little bobcat so whenever i get into it i can cross little streams or you know go go off of off of the designated trails but they do have all of those set up that people that are uh, older or have the right permits can can drive there okay that that makes sense it I don't know if this is if this will be possible or not, but like let's say that you find a game lands that you want to access and there's a gate there, but it's not one of the like predetermined spots where they're going to open up that gate. Like, could you call the region office and a game warden would like meet you there to open the gate? Is that a possibility? I, I don't know that, but I know if you would call, they would, you know, respond to you and, and give you uh, some idea of what's available or work with you as, as much as they can. Um, that, that I don't know. I mean, if it's a, if it's a special access for people with disabilities, it is open, but if you're talking about like a specific gate or something like that, I, I think that would have to be worked out. Yeah. But probably would be worth the phone call, right? Because if they're willing to work with you, take advantage of it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, anytime I've ever asked people for, for assistance, um, even if it's, not the right answer that you that you want sometimes it leads to something else or you know have you tried this area or that area or you know maybe maybe somebody can give you advice that hey you know this is a better area or more accessible or they're seeing game or you know anytime you have a conversation about hunting we always learn learn more things absolutely uh, all right so i want to hear about what a typical day of hunting would be for you. So um, just for example's sake, let's say it's the opening day of rifle season for deer. Uh, you're going to go out. Let's start with what time are you setting the alarm? The alarm goes off. And how, how do you handle your day of hunting? If I'm hunting early morning, my day starts at like three o'clock in the morning. Um, as a quadriplegic, I need assistance dressing. Um, you know, my wife gets me up gets me dressed, gets me into my regular everyday power chair. Um, it's cold, so I have to put on extra layers of clothing. Um, I try not to get everything put on and, until I'm, I'm ready to leave. So I get up, have breakfast, um, get ready, get in the van, get to the hunting area. Um, we load two wheelchairs, I should say, my everyday wheelchair um, or my uh, track chair. Um, get to the hunting spot, put on the, the warm clothing, transfer from my everyday wheelchair into my track chair, put the mount into my uh, wheelchair, um, set the rifle in, strap that down, and uh, try to go and set up a, a ground blind, set the ground blind up, get everything calmed down, load the, load the rifle, and then, you know, I'm good to go. But all of that takes time. All of it, uh, you know, is noisy for another thing. I actually prefer to hunt the afternoons if I can. That's hopefully I, I have a deer in my buck in, in archery season that I'm not out for rifle, but 
whenever I hunt early mornings, it's it's a 3 a.m. start for sure. The, are you uh, like a half day? Like if you would go out in the morning, like do you then sit all day or are you going to sit like the morning and then come in and then go, go? I feel like that'd be a lot of doing to come in and go back out and set everything back up again. When I, when I first started hunting, I, again, as a quadriplegic, I could go all day and I was excited to go all day. And, you know, my, my poor wife, we were hunting in Illinois and we were watching, you know, a cornfield edge for 12 hours a day, um, packed the lunch in, had hot tea. It was 19 degrees and she, she stuck with me on that. But as I get older, I'm 55 now. Um, I'm more of a half day hunter or I'll go out, you know, then, then come back in, get some lunch and then go back out. But whenever I was first injured, I was still, still pretty much a diehard and would go out all day. But, uh, this, this past couple of seasons, I've, I've slacked off a little bit and I uh, prefer the evening hunt. I go out, go out at like three in the afternoon and hunt till seven, hunt until the last legal light and then, you know, go, go back to the van. But um, I, I used to hunt all day, but that's, that's a young man's game anymore. Yeah. I, I, I feel you on that one. You know, I remember in, in my twenties, um, mid twenties, getting back into hunting more avidly and, you know, all day sits during the rut were like no problem. Now, uh, in my thirties, it's like, yeah, I mean, I can, um, I need to get out of the stand and just walk to another stand to like, I just need to see, look at different trees, you know, like it's getting every year, it gets harder and harder for me to sit all day looking at the same, same area. So I understand that, uh, you mentioned your wife sitting with you for 12 hours straight every day in, in Illinois and doing all this work, man. She's a keeper. Um, oh, make sure you don't let go of that one. <laughs> no, no, definitely. She's a keeper. And I have to realize that a lot that, you know, I'm a professional sitter. I mean, I, I'm in my chair, you know, 14 hours a day, 15 hours a day. And it's, it's easy for me to kind of forget that. And when you're working with people and you're going on hunts, I don't want to miss deer coming in, you know, in the afternoon, and especially if we're on a hunt in Maryland or, or out of state kind of deal, but you have to kind of give things a break and be realistic too. And um, I'm not as young as I used to be. So I try to break it up and, you know, either go out in the afternoons or make, make it an enjoyable trip sometimes too, that we sleep in in the morning, get a nice, get a nice lunch and then go out early afternoon, maybe put in, you know, five or six or seven hours that way, but just not the all day hunts anymore. So, well, we've been talking about what it's like for you to hunt. Can you give me a, a favorite hunting story? Um, this could be pre-accident or post-accident or both. Uh, just like when you think of like, man, that was just a great time hunting. What do you, what comes to mind? Well, I always think about the friendships that I have and uh, the people that I'm with. Uh, one of the biggest hunts for me was I was hunting a, a few years ago, bow hunting in Maryland on the Eastern shore. And I was hunting with my friend, Matt Sepas, who actually, you know, saved my life. Uh, Matt and I worked together uh, a long time. We did a lot of hunting on different, different states whenever I was able-bodied. And I had the opportunity to go down and hunt some property that he leases in Maryland. And uh, it was just, it was really, uh, a favorite hunt to be back with Matt to 
be together and, and share that camaraderie. And we went out on Saturday, we put out our, our, our ground blind and uh, we didn't, we didn't get any shots. We, we had seen some deer, but you're allowed to hunt on, on Sunday in Maryland. We went out on, on Sunday, I took my track chair through a swamp. It's kind of a swampy area. Matt's laughing. I'm laughing. We're pushing water with, with the, the tracks um, got set up and I got a, a five point. It wasn't, wasn't the biggest deer I've ever killed in my life by far, but it was back at it, back hunting with my buddy. You'd have thought we killed a 180 class whitetail the way we were hooting and hollering. And, you know, it's, it's all about who you're hunting with and the people. And I've got a lot of stories like that, that I've got to share time with people. And that's something that when a, a picture pops up on my Facebook page or pops up on my phone that, Hey, I did this last year or did that. That's, that's what makes hunting uh, so enjoyable for me. It's not, not so much whether I tag out or, or even, you know, get a shot. It, it's who I'm with. And I, I know that not every day is guaranteed that I can not be able to go, you know, as much like this year, I've, I've got some health problems. I've got a pressure sore and it's kind of limited me to, to get out. I've only actually been out one day this year. My wife and I went out on my birthday bow hunting and that's kind of a tradition that was important to us. So uh, getting out with the, the right people and we made it happen this year, but that hunt with Matt while we stick out that, you know, I was back with my buddy and we, we made it happen and I made a nice shot and the deer didn't go far and using adaptive equipment and the deer cooperated. It walked into my into my scope and uh, I basically just had to suck on the trigger and, and send it. So that, that'll always stick out to me. You know, the more that I talk to hunters, the more uh, that I sort of feel like I just want to stick it to the people that, that think that we hunt be for the, out of like this bloodlust and just for the kill. Because um, when I ask that, what's your favorite hunting story? It always comes back to camaraderie and being with friends and family. And it's those memories that stick with us more than any of the deer that we kill or any of the animals that we kill. It, it's about the memories we make with people, both before the hunt, during the hunt, after the hunt, eating some of the wild game that we bring home. So um, I just, I love hearing those kind of stories. That's great. But you're not just some random guy that's going out and hunting and, um, you know, making things work for you. You're also trying to sort of give back a little bit, right? And share your story. So you started Accessible Hunter. What What is Accessible Hunter? Well, Accessible Hunter, it, it started out as a blog, actually. Um, whenever I got back into hunting, I, I looked on the internet and there was very little information at the time about hunting with a significant disability. So I just started writing about my days out in the field about, you know, going to the range and I'm trying to build this mount to, to make my accuracy more, uh, you know, better for me, better for the game. Um, and I just started chronicling, chronicle, I guess, chronic, I, I can't think of that word, uh, chron, whatever, documenting how I was doing things. And not so much to kind of, hey, look at me, but to kind of share that information. And the blog turned into the Facebook page. And that really took off. Um, 
I do have a website, all of it's accessible hunter, but I do, I do that kind of stuff to share what other people in the country are doing as well. So that we can all celebrate each other and kind of learn from each other on how they're doing things and uh, sharing each other's success. And the accessible hunter Facebook page is really taken off recently. And I've got to talk with some outstanding people from all over the world, actually. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, we don't sell anything. We're not, you know, trying to, to make any money. We're just trying to uh, show people how, how we do things, trying to learn, trying to encourage people, especially newly injured people, a lot of newly injured veterans getting out for the first time that think maybe they can't do it. Or if somebody has an amputation or visual impairment, that there is so much adaptive equipment out there that maybe the average person doesn't think about. So we do it just as a, hey, let's let's uh, get the information out there. So, I mean, now that like the Facebook page is taken off and, and you're meeting these new people and, and getting the sort of message out there that, hey, we, you know, we as a community, we can do this. This is how we do things. Um, this is how we can help each other. Like, do you have an ultimate goal? Is there like something that you really want to achieve with Accessible Hunter in the future? Well, I'd like to get as many people out, out shooting, whether it's even target practice, um, rifle, shotgun, uh, anything that they, they choose to, to use. And I'd like to eventually uh, be able to get people sponsored so that if, if they're having a hard time affording the equipment, the adaptive equipment, that maybe some companies will step up and help one or two people here and there. Um, I'd like to eventually be able to offer that to people. And we've, we've been able to put people in touch with companies that offer free gear and things. And that's always really rewarding. Um, I'd like to do that on a, on a bigger scale eventually, but right now we're just trying to help one person at a time or, you know, if somebody wants to go on a hunt and I can find a friend in, in Ohio, for instance, that has an you know, accessible property and somebody wants to go hunting, I can call them up and say, hey, you know, talk to this person or I, I just like to help people as much as I can and eventually help more people. Uh, that's admirable goal that's that's awesome um to always hear about other people that are trying to help other people that you know the more that we have in the world the better the world is going to be you know if someone is interested in learning more about hunting um with a disability maybe they're recently um you know recently had an accident or um they just maybe they want to help out maybe they want to offer their property anything like that where can they reach out to you the best place to reach me is on Facebook. Um, my page is Accessible Hunter. I've also got an Instagram page, Accessible Hunter, and you're going to see a theme here, uh, the website, AccessibleHunter.com. Um, but best way is on Facebook. We share a lot of pictures and people from you know around the world. And uh, anything I can do to help, they can message me. Um, I do my best to offer them my opinion. And it's just that it's an opinion on how I do things, um, how we've been able to help people over the years do things, but it's always an evolving process. There's always a, a better way of doing something. So we're open to learning from other people too. So if you have an idea or something that, you know, you find works for you and how, how you get out as a person with a disability, and that can be any type of disability, 
let us know. We'd, we'd be happy to share your success as well. Hey, man, keep it easy for people to find you, right? And uh, in that vein, you know, there's going to be links down at the bottom of the uh, episode details. So um, to make it even easier for people, they don't even have to remember Accessible Hunter. Just click that link and it will take you right to uh, either Facebook, Instagram, or the website. Uh, Greg, thank you for joining me and sharing your experience. And um, I want to thank you for also putting yourself out there in a way to try to help other people. Um, like I said, the more people we have, you know, trying to help other people, the better the world's going to be, uh, you know, no matter what capacity it is that they're willing to help. And uh, good luck this year. I, I I can't wait to get that picture of uh, that that big buck down or deer or whatever it is that, that comes across your scope. Well, I sure appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and everything you're doing as well. And I, I wish everybody, you know, a successful season. Get out there and enjoy it, and good luck to everyone. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another episode. I want to thank you for joining me. I want to thank Greg for coming on and talking about not just his accident, but also how he's used this accident as a way to inspire other people and help other people in similar situations. If you didn't feel inspired after listening to this conversation, uh, you have a heart of absolute cold-hearted ice. I mean, it's just cold. Uh, the way that he was able to take this terrible experience and flip it into something not only that he and you know being able to do something he continues to enjoy, but also be able to help others in in a way that he would like to receive the same kind of help. Right. Like to be able to talk about how to modify things and and how to still pursue what it is, you know, uh, as far as a hobby that that you really enjoy is just super inspiring to me and really makes me double think uh, a, a little bit, sort of check myself whenever I'm sort of feeling like, ah, do I really want to get out uh you know, for a hunt or, you know, how much effort I'm going to put into that hunt, how far I'm going to walk or how deep I'm going to go. Uh, it really puts my mind in a different space now uh, to be able to, to think, you know, it really isn't nearly as difficult as it possibly could be. I also want to take this moment to talk to you about something else that is becoming much of an issue within the hunting space. Obviously, Greg's accident was not hunting related. However, we are seeing a greater and greater number of people using elevated stands whenever they're hunting. And as a result of those people using elevated stands in an improper way, we're having more and more people come away with injuries that are life altering, if not deaths. So I want to make sure that everyone out there who is going out is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Check your stand to make sure that it is put together the right way, right? According to the manufacturer, uh, to make sure that it's in good working condition, check your straps to make sure that they haven't been chewed on or they haven't been weather worn or the tree hasn't grown uh, too much. Uh, if you didn't take it down after last season. And then also big thing is wear your safety harness. Even if you do those other things, wear your safety harness. As soon as your feet leave the ground, you should be harnessed up and attached to that tree, either with a lifeline or with the lineman's belt. And then once you're up in the stand, you should definitely be making sure that you are harnessed up and attached to that tree. How much is your life worth? 
Almost all stands now come when you purchase them new, come with uh, a harness that may not be comfortable. A new, a new harness that is going to be comfortable can be as little as $100. How much is your life worth as you know it today? Please harness up. Please be as safe as possible when you are out there hunting and enjoying this great sport and hobby that we, uh, a lot of us, take part in every single year. Until next time, get outside, take someone with you, and as always, stay wild.